You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Captain Marvel. So, scrolls are the bad guys. And you're a Kree, a race of noble warriors. Heroes. Noble warrior heroes. Your life began the day it nearly ended. We found you. With no memory, we made you one of us. So you could live longer, stronger, superior. You were reborn. I keep having these memories. Something in my past is the key to all of this. You know how to fly this thing? We'll see. That's a yes or no question. Yes. Would you like to know what you really are? I think I had a life here. What aren't you telling me? You've come a long way. But you're not as strong as you think. This war is just the beginning. I'm not going to fight your war. I'm going to end it. Aren't you cute? And what's your name, huh? Gary. I'll be back. All right, everyone, you were just listening to the trailer for Captain Marvel, and the story is as follows. Carol Danvers becomes one of the universe's most powerful heroes when Earth is caught in the middle of a galactic war between two alien races. The film is starring Brie Larson, Samuel L. Jackson, Ben Mendelsohn, Jaiman Hansu, Lee Pace, Lashana Lynch, Gemma Chan, Annette Benning, Clark Gregg, and Jude Law. It is written and directed by Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck, and also co-written by uh, Geneva Robertson Dorwit. Joining me for this review, I have J.C. Aldridge. Hello, everybody. Deanne Knighton. I am super sick of people telling me what I can't do. Cody Derricks. Hi. And Danilo Castro. How's it going? All right, everyone. So Captain Marvel, or as I like to call it, the appetizer before Endgame. So this is something that we've been looking forward to since the Avengers Infinity War post credit sequence. I know that for others that follow the MCU pretty closely, they have been waiting for this for longer than that. I kind of keep my nose out of Marvel's business. I like to just enjoy the movies as is. I don't read the comics. I don't read up on spoilers or nothing like that. I'd like to just enjoy them as they come and hot off the heels on oh let's think about this for a second what do we have we had uh thor ragnarok we had black panther we had infinity war right are those are those the latest three yeah i haven't seen that still (laughs) i need to get caught up (laughs) but um 
Yeah, so Captain Marvel is kind of coming hot off the heels of what has been a very, very great streak for Marvel Studios right now. How does it fare up to the others? How does it work as a standalone film? How does Brie Larson do? We are here to talk about that. And we are also going to get into spoilers, but we're going to do that later on. So for the time being, you are safe to listen, but we will get into spoilers later on with this review. Why don't we first kick it off actually to Deanne. Deanne, what did you ultimately think of Captain Marvel? So overall, I liked the film. Um, I There's definitely some inconsistencies that we'll get into, but overall, from a broader theme standpoint, I thought it really worked. I liked the tonal shift and kind of the quieter tone through the first act, and I loved um, the third act really takes off in a way that I think is really impactful and successful. Uh, I think Brie Larson is really great as um, a little bit more of a muted, I hate to use the phrase girl next door. I wish there was a better way to say that, but um, I just don't know how to say it otherwise. But um, she plays that part really well and kind of shows more of an everyday woman take on this. Uh, There's an opening scene where uh, she's kind of going head to head with Jude Law that I think is really kind of sets the stage for some nice storytelling. And I, you know, overall good okay okay uh right jc what about you um well so one this is funny this will set the tone for the whole podcast i think so captain america the first avenger has always been my favorite marvel movie always above everything that's ever come out since then it has been my absolute favorite movie fyi that's a very interesting choice i just want to throw that out there actually sure yeah it's not often i hear that one at the top of anyone's list so oh yeah it's i've had multiple conversations about that as my first choice which is why it will be very interesting to announce that captain marvel has replaced captain america the first avenger as my top favorite marvel film I will say that maybe it's just because I'm a day out of seeing it, but truly, the entire time I was watching the film last night, I was thinking, this is the one that's replacing Captain America First Avenger, and it did. Wow. Okay. Cody, what about you? Okay, so I don't... Okay. (laughs) I hate to be the one that's like, I'm not really into Marvel movies, but I'm not, and that's like just my opinion. I enjoy them... I enjoy things about them, and I enjoy the ones that I think go above and beyond, notably two of the three movies that came out in 2018. Um, So the things that I don't particularly connect with in this movie are the things I haven't connected with in most Marvel movies. And that's like storytelling beats and dialogue and like script moments. But the things I did connect with were things that could only be done in this movie, only be done with a character who isn't another white dude at the helm. And that's the stuff I appreciated the most. You know, the theme is connected to um, Captain Marvel and the moments with her character that were specific to being a woman. Those are the things I like the most. So in that sense, I have to say this movie is a success. Okay. All right. Danilo? Um, I'm I'm a Marvel fan. I like pretty much everything. I'm going to say with the exception of the Hulk, Edward (laughs) Norton one. Um, Going into this, I was cautiously optimistic i felt the trailers uh didn't give that great of a uh, kind of a, a showcase of what brie larson was doing with the character so i was curious to see what would happen um but ultimately i came out of the movie enjoying it and enjoying her performance uh and 
kind of like Dan said, I, I liked it. Uh, I think there are issues that we're going to get into that I have a little more, uh, you know, to talk about in terms of details. But overall, I, I enjoyed myself. Okay. All right. I am the one who's mixed. Sorry. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I, I'm pretty mixed, too. Typical so you're not Matt. Uh, well, okay. So there's, a, there's a, par- a reason for this, too, because prior to V's last, uh, say, one and a half, almost two years with things like Spider-Man Homecoming, like I was saying before, Thor Ragnarok, Black Panther, Infinity War, Marvel was kind of very inconsistent for me. I mean... <sighs> I, I was, you know, at a point where I had just given up pretty much on every single film that they were putting out. Age of Ultron was a disappointment for me. Uh, Thor The Dark World was a disappointment for me. Wasn't a big fan of the first Guardians, actually. I do like Volume 2, but, like, it was just all over the place. So, you know, it's like a Iron Man 3 and, like, ah, you know, so... I think if you ask a you know a different person, hey, what's your favorite Marvel film? You're going to get different answers from everybody. Sure. Which is a good thing. But I've never really been an enthusiastic Marvel person. And so, unfortunately for me, Captain Marvel kind of harkens back to that inconsistent storytelling with bland cinematography, humor that feels forced... And yet it's mixed in with an origin story that I found to be very compelling at times. And I thought the cast did a great job of keeping me entertained throughout. So there's some good and there is some, you know, I don't want to say opportunity because Marvel is Marvel at this point. They have a formula and it is what it is. But I'll just say inconsistencies and certain things that for me just maybe don't compute uh, for what I find to be the most entertaining. Oh, I'm right there with you. I think in particular, like as I was watching the first act speak to what you were saying, there is kind of a grimness to it, like to the just to the coloring and the lighting and and some of this, even the visual effects in the first act. And then, of course, I think especially the humor in the first act. None of that was actually hitting for me. There were things hitting like the development of her character and um, some of the interactions between um you know, her and Jude Law and um, Annette Benning, I thought were all really good, but I was not too excited um, at the beginning. I do think it gets progressively better and more interesting. I think the visual effects improve. Um, I think, you know, as far as the humor goes, I think it really tried hard to use nostalgia in a way that I found off-putting. I like a little bit of it. You know, there's this scene at the beginning that involves blockbuster video that actually I liked, right? Like, I'm like, okay, that's enough. Yeah. That's enough 1995 for me. But then the movie does continue to just kind of hit you over the head with 1995, even like in this culmination scene with the choice of a song that was so on the nose that it totally threw me out of the movie but uh that said you know i I kind of was able to put all of that aside for the things that you said and and enjoy the development of the themes which is was something refreshing and new Mm -hmm. you know particularly female friendship was shown in a way that i found very touching i actually cried a couple of times as it related to seeing you know two women really lifting each other up and two really powerful women doing that me too Beautiful. And and that's something we haven't seen in this particular genre. I, I don't think um, that successfully. So I give it a ton of credit for that. And then there's this, you know, broader theme too, just about um, 
I think it's really common to um, take successful people and sometimes want to attribute their success to other people helping them get there. But ultimately, I think the theme of this movie that I think is really charming and lovely and timely is that, you know, she she sort of realizes through the course of the story that she's the one who's responsible for what she has and what she can do. And I think Mm -hmm. that is also very refreshing um, and very timely. So I'm right there with you, Matt. The character pieces, there were things that worked really well, um, but then, you know, there were misses. I want to just take everything that you just said, Deanne, and kind of use it as a jumping off point to kind of tackle that in sections, because I think you just hit on most of the main topics that we're going to cover here. And I want to actually just specifically focus first and foremost and get all of your thoughts on the first act of the film. Uh, before I get to the first act, though, can we all just comment on how beautiful uh, that moving tribute to Stanley was in the beginning? Oh my god! Oh, my audience I was cheered. Yeah, that was yeah. a so nice. So it was funny because the the two gentlemen that I went to see the film with, one of them loved that in the beginning, and the other one, I'm not going to name names, um, <laughs> thought that it should have happened at the end, and I was like. No, no. Marvel, like when you think about opening credit sequences, you think about Marvel and you think about James Bond. Like they are known for their opening credit sequences. Why wouldn't it be in the beginning? Loved it. I thought it was Mm -hmm. a great choice too. And I, I, I cried three times during this and that was, you know, got me right off the gate. I thought it was beautiful. Absolutely. So those first 20, 30 minutes, Mm -hmm. I have a note here. And it just says in all capitals, I don't know what is happening. Yep. I I had no idea what was going on, who anyone was, what this war that I thought was a just a a single mission. I didn't realize it it was an entire war. I was very confused and I felt very dumb. And I just watched uh, Black Panther again this morning, and Black Panther kind of opens up with a uh, narrator explaining the exposition to the audience. And I feel like this movie really, really badly needed that to kind of set the stage for this whole Skrulls versus um, the Kree war that was going on, you know? Okay, I'm going to be the Captain Marvel defender in this episode. I can already tell, and I'm okay with it, because... I thought that the first 20, 30 minutes was great. And I thought it was really funny. (laughs) (laughs) There is nothing wrong with that. Um, So you own it, girl. You own it. I'm I'm owning it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I mean, I think that Brie Larson's take on Captain Marvel's character and her sense of humor maybe just really gets me. I just loved how sarcastic she was and how dry she was. I thought that was just so great. And in terms of what was actually happening in the film, I don't, I mean, I personally understood that there was a kind of greater plot line going on. And I'm always the kind of person when I see movies that many times I'm watching a movie and I'm like, I don't really know what's going on. And then it explains itself later. And so I never view that as a negative. Sometimes I think that's a purposeful choice. They kind of want you guessing what's going on between the characters because they also don't want you to realize Captain Marvel's story any sooner than she does. And I sort of like that idea. You know, we, at least I was very closely aligned with Captain Marvel's realization of her own story. It wasn't a situation where the audience finds out something before the characters do in that sense. And I liked that for this story. 
Well, let's use that actually to you know, give give this film a, a bit of credit here. We're always complaining about the quote unquote origin story and how it's been done to death. And we've seen it countless times before this film, even though I don't think it executes it 100 percent well, just in terms of the storytelling. I got to give the film credit for at least trying to tell an origin story a bit differently than others. I agree with that. Yeah. And, you know, you ha- I'm totally with you guys on the disorientation of that first 30 minutes. But there were little bits where, I mean, I'm certainly not a comic book girl, but I'm a Marvel girl in terms of the cinematic universe. And, you know, but even for me, I was like, when they brought in, brought up Cree, I'm going, Cree, Cree, where do I know Yeah, me that? too. I, I know like, that from something, you know, and, <laughs> right. And eventually, you know, this isn't, I don't think really a spoiler, but we realized, oh yeah, Ronan was Cree. Okay. So then that does kind of create some, some ambiguousness around, wow, is Kree good or bad? Or, you know, different things in the Marvel universe, maybe they're not all good or all bad. Maybe they're just like everything else where there's some really good ones and some not so good ones. But um, I think, you know, uh, that so, so that, those they do try to piece that together um, a little bit, but it does take time and you have to be patient for it. Um, I agree with you, Matt, on the tiredness of origin stories, but I only find it kind of tiring when it's a thing we've seen before, when it's Spider-Man for the third time or Batman or Superman. These stories that we already know, I knew nothing about Captain Marvel going in. So I was really excited to see an origin story, and it wasn't told like a typical origin story. You know, it wasn't, you know, didn't start from her birth on Earth. It was kind of uh, like piecemeal all over the place, which I, I appreciated, even though I did find it a little bit disorienting. See, I really liked that aspect because when you think about it, you know, we are set in Brie Larson's origin story for herself. I mean, at the time that we come into the film, she doesn't remember anything about her life. So we kind of go on that journey of rediscovering or discovering who she was in the same timeline that she does. So I kind of liked that. It, it, It gave me a greater sense of connection with the character in that way. Um, I don't know. Maybe. No, no, I I think you're definitely right there, JC. Um, And I think that is something that is going to definitely be a personal connection for a lot of audience members with this movie and this character. I I think for me, you know, when when we have that montage um, towards the end of the film, showing her at the different stages in her life and everything that she's gone through. That's the highlight of the movie for me by far. It is for me. It is for me, too, actually. I think it's actually one of the better MCU moments uh, just in terms of the, it's very, very brief. But the storytelling, the editing, the music, the power of that moment, really, Every really fantastic. woman watching that scene will feel a connection to a female character in a film, I think that they may not have felt before, at least in superhero movies. And that is something that I connected to so strongly in this film, more so than Wonder Woman. I think that Captain Marvel really is. I agree with Brie Larson when she said, you know, this isn't a film for men. This is a film for women. I don't remember what her exact quote was. And I can see where that is coming from because I did not have a film like this growing up at all. Like I, I had strong princess Disney movies, but still like that's, it's, it's the core of this movie, I think does come down to that. And I wanted to stand up in my seat and like clap. I was just like overcome with emotion. Now, Brie, Brie Larson, in my opinion, hasn't, handled the campaign trail for this movie as well as she probably could yeah you know because with comments like that i i do i do think she is alienating uh, another huge portion of the 
audience. Sure. And that is, in in a way, I'm not saying it's creating the toxic, uh, you know, backlash that the film is facing. I'm not saying it at all, but it is kind of fanning the flames a little bit more. Um, I, I, I definitely connected with this character despite being a man, and I definitely uh, found her to be extremely intriguing at times. I thought that the confusion and self-discovery, finding uh, your own inner power uh, was something that was really, really inspiring. And I thought the film did all of this very well. Brie Larson herself, I don't know if it's because she is portrayed to be this, like you said, Jay-Z, sarcastic kind of character, but she almost came off to me, not wooden in her acting, but almost as a I hate to say this, but just a bland character almost because of the fact that even though she doesn't know who she is in the beginning, that's really like the only conflict that she kind of faces for herself. Like it never ever seems like she is ever in danger really because she's supposed to be this all-powerful being, you know what I mean? Mm. And I didn't find that aspect of it to be that compelling and I and I think that translated maybe to her performance somewhat. She actually found her kind of disorientation but still surety of her personal abilities pretty enthralling. I, and I, f- I found her, you know, performance of staying, you know, <laughs> strong in the face of a storm on a planet you don't understand and your world's being turned upside down. I found that pretty powerful. And then there are moments where that, you know, that uh, that stoicism kind of flickers and you see it on her face for a moment. But then she kind of resets herself and goes, now I need to do what I need to do right now. I thought she was pretty great in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think I think she I think the char- let me put it to you this way. I think the character is iconic. And the character is written very well. I don't think she herself brings anything that's entirely special to it as an actress. I I, I almost feel like another actress could have brought the same qualities that she brought to the role. You know what I mean? Yeah, but you can see the theme of like Hemsworth and Evans. I don't really see that as a, you know, she's doing the job she's there to do. (laughs) Oh, no, but but then again, like I also, you know, I I attribute this also to a lot of the other characters. And maybe, um, you know, to your point there, because some of the other characters, uh, actors have played these characters throughout multiple movies and we've seen more depth and more layers added to them. Um, Maybe that because this is the first film. Uh, and since there will obviously be more, um, there's opportunity for that uh, with me personally to get a little bit more out of her as an actress because I know she's capable of doing it. I just didn't feel like she elevated this role. If, if that's uh, that's probably the best way I can explain it. You know what I am really excited about in terms of this female character coming into the Marvel universe in the way that it did, mm-hmm. and this isn't a spoiler. Okay, I'm just gonna say that is I'm really excited to see her interact with. Natasha Romanov. Mm. I'm really excited for that because I do think that they're, it's interesting because I have always really connected with Black Widow. Um, I mean, I've, you know, cosplayed for her at Comic-Con for like the last five years. I've been campaigning for her own movie forever. I don't know. It's probably not going to happen now, but I always wanted a Black Widow movie. And I'm very interested to see how, those two characters are going to interact and if they will um, uh, complement each other or not, because this is a very unique female addition to the Marvel universe because Black Widow is very overtly sexual. 
I mean, that's just part of her character. And Captain Marvel is very unabashedly not so. And she is very much kind of herself, very human, and just sort of lays it out all on the table, whereas Black Widow is very secretive and sexual and sensual. And I'm just interested to see how their characters will interact. Well, breaking away from that for a second, actually, I'm very curious to see how she interacts with the the people that have established themselves as the dominant forces within the Avengers group, more more like Captain America, oh, Tony yeah. Stark. Mm-hmm. And from a power standpoint, Thor, because... I don't know. Like, are, I think the comics have explained this. She's more powerful than Thor, right? My impression was that she's the one Josh, who's here to help us with Thanos. And yeah. maybe this is this actually is a good like moment to say one of my other issues with the movie, which is an issue that is typical of Marvel and not exclusive of this movie. I am not clear on what her powers are. She, her, her photon beams, I I get how she got them, but they seem to have the same vague, just energy power as like what Scarlet Witch has and what Iron Man has and what Vision has. And I didn't get how that set her apart from those characters. Whereas the Avengers in the first phase of Marvel's MCU have really specific powers. And I think Marvel has kind of strayed away from that. Even Black Panther, I'm still not quite sure what his powers are he's stronger but i don't know yeah it's interesting because like she can fly door can also fly um i mean she would took on several people at once i don't think that would be an issue i just i'm not sure like specifically why this sets her apart from i would say in a group characters. capacity she would definitely be an asset i don't know if one-on-one if we'll see that i mean it'll be interesting to see how they handle that like, is she a dissolution where as soon as they have her on their side, it's like game over for Thanos? He doesn't stand a chance? Like, Well, I think you have to think about it in the sense that Captain Marvel is very distinct from every other Avenger because of the fact that she is truly very equally human and uh, cerebral or ethereal. I don't know what you would call that. Otherworldly. Outer, yeah, I was going to say outer spacery. <laughs> that works. And, you know, whereas you have Thor, who does have experience on Earth, but he is inherently otherworldly as Guardian. Um, we don't really have... Captain Marvel has that true innate kind of double-dipping aspect. And I agree with y'all. I don't really know how far her power goes, but I do think that that will play a very large part and why she is such an asset for this upcoming battle. Oh, I think it's really interesting too, the way, you know, there's that trope that they used with Thor and a lot of, even Wonder Woman used it to a degree where it was this out, you know, I'm of another world and here I am in earth and I'm figuring out earth. And there are some great jokes and things that can come from that. But I think that this did take a little bit of a different angle with that, which I appreciated, you know, uh, for example, it was in the trailer, but there is that scene where uh, the the guy tells her to smile. And there's something, I mean, very subtle and just amazing about the fact that 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 is something that related to her in this, you know, worldly, earthly planet that also she could relate to in other places. And she just glares at him, you know, and every woman who is a woman who has been in that experience where someone tells them to smile and you want to tell them to F off, I mean, just like has has a moment there, Definitely. you know, and um, so I, I liked that, you know, because it could have gone the other direction and been a little more hokey with that um, element. And I thought that they did a nice job um, making it something different. 
Yeah, no, there's a, definitely a lot of great moments in this movie, especially like the one thing from a thematic standpoint that really resonated for me uh, was she was always constantly being told by Jude Law, who's like her mentor in this movie, to keep her emotions in check, which I think you know, for, uh, strongly speaks to uh, what women are constantly always told because they're considered to be more overly emotional and they got to hide that and so on and so forth. And I love that she was a character that just pretty much said, no, fuck your advice, <laughs> you know? And I mean, and deals with it in such a um, in such a way that creates its own Indiana Jones-like moment in the third act for her when she's uh, squaring off against another character one-on-one. Yes, I love that I scene. love that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I love that scene. I love that attitude. I love how she goes against the grain. I, I love all of that. I, I just wish that the tonal balance of this film and getting back to certain things about like the, the humor and the, the thick and heavy editions of the 90s like like that soundtrack i i uh, that soundtrack to me was distracting at times i have yes. to say okay, I'm, glad, I'm glad i wanted matt, more <laughs> that, you, that you brought me too i'm glad matt that you brought that the the 90s up because as a 90s baby um i really appreciated every bit i appreciate there's like there is a hilarious scene about dial up that i thought was just oh that was good that was fabulous funny. And I don't know. I mean, maybe I, I'm. I can't really think about a modern day film. Maybe I'm just missing, but I can't think about a film that's come out in the last decade or so that really does treat the '90s as though it's in the past with that nostalgic flavor that I've been kind of looking for. Maybe I'm. I'm. I'm sure there's a film like that, but I just can't really point my finger to it. Well, we're starting oh. to see it. Like in the last year, there was like mid nineties that came out and there was another one last year that was set in the nineties. So we, uh, to your point, JC, we're sort of right on the verge of it becoming its own mm-hmm. place in time, which I yeah. think is interesting Lady to Bird see. A little bit. Yep. And as a, Oh, exactly. And as a baby of the eighties, you know, it's, it's fascinating for me to watch it because, you know, I, you know, I look at the seventies in this sort of retrospective way. It was before my time. It is sort of interesting to see how the nineties is becoming its own thing. Um, and I think it's just happening right now because time had to pass. That's true. Yeah. And I love all of the uh, movie montage. I'm sorry, not movie montages, the movie references to the nineties in this, mm-hmm. um, a few of them that I picked up on, there's uh, a scene that resembles uh, the film heat at one point, uh, there's a scene that when they're uh, flying through canyons that reminded me of Independence Day. Um, there's a Terminator 2 reference where she takes uh, somebody's clothes and rides a bike to a rock song. <laughs> oh, totally. You're right. <laughs> there is uh, – I wrote all this down. There's – this is a little bit more subtle, uh, but it is going to lead into what I think is the one thing that everybody wants to talk about. There is a Men in Black Reference to the MVP of the film. Yeah. Goose. Goose. <laughs> now, now I, I have some things to say about Goose. Matt, no. Um, I am I, I am one of those people that does not get emotionally manipulated by animals on screen. What is wrong with you? I just don't. I, I don't. <laughs> I'm kidding. I don't with cats. I'm a dog. Person. I don't with cats either. <laughs> I just think I do think that the presence of Goose in this movie, even though it is played for some really good comedic moments, I do think it is 
a little bit emotionally manipulative and it is overcompensating maybe somewhat for certain other lacking areas of the movie at times. I don't know. I mean, they didn't use the cat as like um, an emotional crutch. It's not like it was like flying. No, no, no. But, but in terms of like, not, not like emotional, like sadness, but like audience participation, hoorah moments. You oh, know what I mean? Yeah, okay. I will that say that, that, that I can <laughs> I, I can agree with you in the sense that I do feel like they use the cat to the point, almost like a magician's trick of distracting maybe from plot points that maybe weren't cleared up. I don't know. I haven't seen it for a second time, but I could see I could see where that cat would have been used in a more cinematically manipulative way versus just a true authentic addition to the film itself. I could see that. Was well, it like a baby group situation? I think it made its presence uh, matter by the fact that, I mean, what it does later in the movie was only something that could be done by this creature. Yeah. My only problem with the cat was the overabundance of using a CGI double for it. And not even for like the stunt scenes. There would be scenes where there was one scene where Brie Larson was just holding it in the farmhouse and all of a sudden it was a CGI cat. And I don't know the, you know, the in and outs of working with a cat on set, but if you're going to have it be real in some scenes and then fake in others, it was really, really distracting to me. Does anyone here own a cat? Yes, I had a cat for 18 years. I've lived with a cat before. How hard is it to get a cat to do what you want it to do? Okay, but here's the thing. Right, I'm, but they're they really, for My cat's cat. not. No, but my cat wasn't a good example. Her name was Scribbles and she was like a dog. <laughs> she came and she was called. <laughs> Okay, she literally like all I had to do was be like, Scribs, come here. And she'd come running and like she would sit and she wanted to cuddle and I could pick her up and do anything I wanted with her. Like she was a weird cat, I'm just going to say. So she maybe this cat was obviously not a Scribbles, but to your point, yeah, they're not easy to handle unless you have my cat, which you don't, so. Yeah, but they would be just, like, holding it, and all of a sudden it was, like, a computer monster. It really bugged me. <laughs> I, all I know is that cats are more notoriously prone to going their own way on movie sets than, say, dogs off, mm -hmm. for example. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, the nice thing about Goose, we haven't even talked about Nick Fury yet, but I did like, you know, that sort of that allowed um, Nick Fury to have his little bit of his own, you know, character development story. Yeah. And how about, are we going to talk about the young Nick Fury? And uh, was anyone interested in Because I thought it was pretty amazing. I did not know. I did not yeah. know that it was CGI at times. I legitimately thought it was great makeup, and that is just a, yeah. a, a showcase for how amazing de-aging has become. Everything. Less slow, uh, in my opinion, a little less slow on uh, Clark Gregg, who yeah, I thought I looked a little spotty at times. Yes. Yeah. Colson just looked like he had too much makeup on. Right? Yes, like I, I would yeah. say, yeah, it just looked like he had, like, and maybe like a prosthetic. Like I wasn't, it was definitely less effective but i was glad to see him return for sure but sam it, it felt like it, it legitimately felt like it was 1995 samuel l jackson i was watching on screen yeah, it felt oh, like he's yeah. had that at pulp fiction it's amazing it was so great i mean it, it really it really blew me away at times i was very very thoroughly impressed by it what i wasn't as impressed by uh was in my opinion this really bad makeup job on talos played by ben mendelson um I was not a fan of I, I, I admire that they use practical makeup, 
But all I kept thinking of when I was watching this was I kept thinking of Lord of the Rings makeup and how amazing like orcs looked in in Lord of the Rings and this just looked like more Star Trek like but in not like Star Trek True. in the cinematic sense like more like Star Trek in the TV show the TV sense like a Power Rangers episode or something You know I didn't I didn't think about that during the film but now that you say that I I'm glad I didn't think about it during the film cuz that would have bothered me yeah it did bother me, but Ben Mendelsohn, oh my God, he is- Oh, so credit to him. And so despite what you're saying, despite being distracted by that makeup, I mean, that, like his eyes, like just the way he acts with his eyes and uh, he just brought that character to life. Despite- See, now that's for me, yeah. like when I talk about elevating a role, mm-hmm. I-, I feel like out of everyone in this cast, I felt like Ben Mendelsohn took what was- Something that could have just been really rather bland and boring, and he made it somewhat refreshing and unique. And like the line delivery had comedic, um, you know, had comedic sensibilities that I, I just was not expecting. And I thought was once again in the beginning, I thought was a very tonally imbalanced aspect of the film until until character development for that character grew, and we started to realize, oh, okay, that's why he's very eccentric and funny and likable Mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. And I think the comedic timing grew with the character because I felt like he got funnier and the jokes got sharper for him as the film progressed. And Ben Mendelsohn is not playing a villain for once in a movie. I'm sorry, that that might be a spoiler, but... That's a little bit of a spoiler, but it happens Sorry. It does, it does. Okay, wait, I have a question because this was brought up in my my watching last night. One of my friends told me that in this movie, there's supposedly many new characters that are introduced that are going to continue to be in the films. And I could see that for a couple, particularly um, Maria, LaShawna Lynch's daughter in the movie. The one mm. who's like, yeah, uh-huh. what's her daughter's name? I don't remember. No, but, I, think, I think the daughter is Monica. Oh, Monica. Okay. So I could... Are y'all? I, I'm feeling like I would be really pleased to see Monica later on in in the Avengers timeline. I don't know. I'm interested to see how these characters that have entered come back. Like, I, do y'all I think that these roles will come back? I believe she's a character in the comic books. Oh. Okay. So I think that might be what they're setting up. Don't quote me on that, but I think that's what the case is. Ooh. So. At this point, uh, are we ready to give final thoughts, grade, and then we can discuss spoilers? Yeah. Yeah? Yes. All right. So final thoughts then. Uh, Cody, uh, anything that we did not touch upon that you want to touch upon with Captain Marvel? Um, I don't think so. Like I said, I I have an unfortunate kind of roadblock into my full appreciation of Marvel movies in general. It's not something I like about myself, but it just it's just me. <laughs> but again, I, the things I appreciated about this movie were things you could only do without it couldn't be a Thor movie or Captain America movie. It was specific to that character, and that's what I liked the most about it. So I'm going with a seven out of ten. Okay, nice. Uh, JC, um, I think I covered pretty much everything that I love so much about this movie. I mean, it would be a different conversation to have as to why, because you're right. Captain America: First Avenger is a very unique choice as a top Marvel film, um, but I think that if if I that would be a different discussion to have about why Captain Marvel surpassed that for me, but just in the in the sense of Captain Marvel itself as a film, um, 
I thought that the performances were strong. I thought I loved getting a younger Nick Fury. Um, I loved learning about how his eye patch happened. Uh, I thought that was awesome. And I would give it a 10 out of 10. Wow. (laughs) Boom. My uh, boyfriend is up right now and he is very strongly disagreeing with my rating. DM? Okay, so, uh, you know, like I said, I think that there were some things, um, particularly in the cinematography, that were problematic that actually I have to say not to make comparisons, but made me so appreciate Black Panther even more, not to hit on Captain Marvel, but just to say that, like, how vivid and the use of purples and reds in that film, like, how much that added to the power of that story, it gave me Mm. a nice appreciation for that. Um, But there are things that Captain Marvel does that it does really well. And um, I, you know, I'm going to give it a seven out of 10. um, And that, you know, that's because really it's the overarching themes that I think carry it to the finish line. Um, And then one other last thing I want to say, we were talking earlier about the, you know, is this a girl's movie? Is this, could this be a movie for only, is it only a movie for women? I have this thing that has been creeping into my mind over the last couple of years. I think anytime you look at a power dynamic, I think just by sort of um, default that gets attributed to white males because historically power dynamics have been typically controlled that way. But I believe that the danger of power can have influence on anyone in a position of power and it can be abused in a way, male, female, whatever you want to be, whatever you want to call it. Um, there is that, um, re- like reality of, of as, power develops over the next while, I think that we have to be open to realizing that that can be um, a a whole bunch of people who can, you know, create that. So I didn't say that very well, but I hope what I said made sense. Oh, Um, I thought you said it. No, it makes perfect sense. I thought you said it really well. And and so again, I think as we move forward, you know, and I I hope that this isn't a movie just for women, I guess is what I'm saying, because I think um, anyone can be a victim of the abuse of power. No, I will say, idea, and I think that's a good point. I, I don't, I don't think it's just a movie for women at all. I mean, I think everybody who goes to that movie will enjoy it. I just think I understood. I, I hope what Brie Larson meant by that, and that like, it's a movie that is particularly pointed at a group of people who have felt underrepresented in film in the way that they would like to be, and. I don't think that means that it's excluding anyone. I think it's just meaning like, hey, we see you. I felt like this movie was saying to me, I see you. And I... I'm representing you in that. I'm way. with you. I'm I like I'm totally there with you on the representation piece. I believe in that a hundred percent. But I just thought I would kind of throw out that other thought I had, especially as we're definitely. seeing seeing that dynamic more in mainstream films these days. Sure. Yeah, definitely. And you know, Black Panther, uh, I thought did the same exact thing for uh, the black community as well. And I I don't I don't see the issue with this. You know, everybody's overreacting so much and giving this movie so much. Hate hate on social media and Brie Larson. She doesn't deserve that for the things that she's saying. Do I think that she could maybe say it a little bit better so there's less ambiguity to bring on that hate? Sure. But at the same time, what she's saying is not cause for 
the kind of crap that's been happening around this movie. It's it's just completely overblown and really, really ridiculous. So I, I, I listen, the movie doesn't suffer in that regard for its message and its themes. I think they are still very universal at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And maybe you're right. Maybe maybe JC you have a stronger reaction to it than you know say for example I do uh, because of that but that doesn't mean that I can't appreciate this movie for what it's uh, doing for you and for others out there and I can't just appreciate the movie on its own terms in general so it's completely ridiculous definitely Uh, with that said Danilo I think your last one here final thoughts Um, I think I'm a believer of the of uh, the Marvel movies being more than the sum of their parts so I think viewed as an individual piece um, without the context of what came before and what's going to come after, I think I'd be uh, more critical of this film. But overall, as an entry into this ongoing story, I found it to be an enjoy- enjoyable film. Um, I would like to see, because I think Bowden and Fleck are really good directors when it comes to character with their previous films, Sugar and Mississippi Grind and things like that. I would oh. like to see what they do with the sequel and maybe a little more leeway in terms of developing the character. So that's something I kind of am wishing for down the line because I would like to see that. Um, Overall, I'm going to give this a 7 out of 10 as well. And for me, uh, you know, I, I've definitely voiced the things that I'm a little iffy on with this. I don't actually, like, hate anything about this movie. I, I You know, there was nothing about it that made me just go, oh, God. Maybe the cinematography at times. I, I But then again, I've never really been a big fan of Marvel's cinematography outside of Ragnarok, Black Panther, and Infinity War. Um, I just don't like the... I don't like how they've chosen to just shoot all these movies and kind of keep that continuity throughout. I do feel that when they break away from it, and I don't know, maybe this is attributed to the directors behind the projects but I really want their movies to not feel as connected and be more standalone-ish like Black Panther so that this way um, I can appreciate them on their own and I don't have to then view it as this continuity piece that's going to lead into the next thing and I have to know everything that came before it and so on and so forth you know what I mean so I understand what Marvel's doing. They're bringing basically television to cinema. I mean, they've been doing this now for 10 years in terms of how we watch seasons of television and watch characters grow over a lengthy period of time. We're seeing that in the movie theater, and it's still very, very exciting. And I do appreciate the way that Anna Bode and Ryan Fleck um, tackled this origin story. Do I think it's completely perfect no uh do i think there were some aspects that could have been told a little bit better so that i got the story a bit more sure but overall it's an enjoyable entry into the marvel cinematic universe it's not the worst film in there it's certainly not the best one for me Uh, i give it a six out of ten ultimately and really really quick i do want to also just say Oscar potential, you know, throughout, I was a little bit hazy on this contending for best visual effects, but when you consider the Samuel L. Jackson de-aging throughout the entire movie, I mean, it fooled me. Yeah. Yeah. So... I think that puts it over the top as a a good contender. But I don't know if it will go anywhere else besides that. And Marvel's history and visual effects have been spotty at best anyway. So it's really, really tough to say. But I would would say let's mark it down now as a potential uh, contender there. I agree. So with that said, uh, we're going to now talk about uh, spoilers for Captain Marvel. So if you don't want to know any official real spoilers, turn off the podcast now. But for those that do want to get into it, um, I will just start off by saying... Nice twist with Jude Law. That was good. Oh, yeah. 
I liked that. I liked it a lot, actually. I I thought that was uh, really, really well done. Even though I could see it coming a mile away, I still genuinely really liked it. Yeah. Especially because, like we said, Ben Mendelsohn is typecast as the villains all the time. Yeah, exactly. All the time. That was nice, yeah. (laughs) I also liked the um, Annette Benning Cree part. I wasn't expecting that at all. Yeah. I liked that twist, too, and I thought that the scene between Annette Benning and Brie Larson was one of the film's best. Um, it, I thought it was really powerful. The showdown, I should say. Yeah, and, and all, the un- <clears throat> Sorry. all the unraveling of who Carol slash Veers is was, even though, like I said, I found the first uh, half hour a little bit confusing, the payoff weirdly works. I don't, that doesn't yes. say, that's not to say that I think the beginning was it could have been not better. Like it, it could have been a little bit more streamlined and still have that same payoff. But I still felt the like just the little details. Like when you see the flashback to the uh, plane crash and Carol's blood is blue in the beginning because that's an imprinted memory, but you don't know it yet. And then later wow. when of course we find out that she's human, it's red. Just little details like that really just set up these dominoes of expectation right. that you don't even I, know are going to fall. I agree, Cody, especially with, I just, I loved the realization that, you know, that little piece in her neck that they had been convincing her that that was what was giving her her power. And it ended up being the prison cell that was keeping her power from unleashing itself. I loved that. I loved that. I thought the blood, and I agree, and I liked the, you know, the metaphor of the blood as well. And when he's like, I'm the one who put the blood in you, it kind of goes back to what I talked about at the beginning in terms of that overall theme of um, people thinking that they're responsible for your success. And yes. um, and I think uh, that, that that played out really well. And, uh, and again, just kind of hit that theme home in a more right. subtle way. I mean, I, I don't think it was um, too overt. I liked it. To go back to uh, what Cody was saying uh, with, the, with the backstory, I really liked when the scrolls were scrubbing through her memory and you were seeing mm-hmm. like the variety of like, like when she's talking to Annette Benning and like they keep reversing it to try yes. to get information. I thought mm. that device was really cool. Oh yeah. Yeah. Right. That's that sort of conveying. Cool. I would have liked to have seen a little more of that. I don't know how necessarily that would have gotten integrated, but I thought that scene was fascinating with the way that they were kind of giving us information and extracting information at the and same time. And you're like straining your eyes trying yeah. to. Yeah. Right. And yeah. the way that it affected her character, you could actually see it, you know, causing her, like she was so confused yeah. as that kept going. I, I that was loved a great that. device, narratively. Yeah. I have to ask, was Ronan really necessary? I liked Ronan because it tied into guards. Yes, it did take me a while to remember that he was the villain from Guardians of the Galaxy, number one. But once I realized that, I loved that because it plays into the whole idea of the Tesseract. Like, yes, it's necessary, Matt. Of course it's necessary. I guess. I don't it's know. It's necessary because he's my number one celebrity crush, so I was happy for every hey. second. <laughs> Lee Pace, yo. I, I... <laughs> yeah, no, Lee Pace, not Ronan the Destroyer. <laughs> <laughs> like Good I said to clarify. Earlier, that it provided a nice movie cue, like as you were figuring it out, like for the, for, for the Marvel <sighs> fans who were like, oh, wait, how does he play it? But that's what I'm talking about when I say I just wish these movies could stand on their own. And... You know, you know. I just rewatched Black Panther this morning, and they're really other than, um, 
what's his name from The Hobbit? Oh, I was gonna. Andy Serkis. Oh, no. Uh, well, I guess Andy Serkis to a little. They're both from The Hobbit. Yeah, they're both from The Hobbit. Yeah, yeah, they're both guys from The Hobbit. <laughs> Um, with the exception of them, and they're really not the focal, like a huge focal point so much. I, I don't know. It still felt very self-contained in that movie to me. Where in this one, I feel like if you've never seen Guardians and you're just watching Captain Marvel, there's going to be like an entire group of people that are going to be like, what is this? Why? What? The scrolls and the Krees, but when Ronan showed up, it kind of reminded me, because he's at that point talking to what you think are the good guys. So it kind of reminded me of the early setups of like Darth Sidious in the prequel trilogy where you're like, wait, am I supposed to trust this person now? Is he good? What's going on? I like that confusion, even for somebody who has yeah. seen guardians. I agree. I agree. Okay. So are we going to talk about end game? Um, the build up to that. Oh my God. I, it's a little post credit scene. Yeah, I yeah. loved it. I love that mid-credits scene. I liked it because it provided a nice, you know, woo moment uh, before the screen went to black. <laughs> did you Even do though, that? I'm sorry. Yeah, did you did actually that noise in the theater? Carol was wearing the most obvious reshoot wig I've ever seen. But like, that's oh, okay. Oh, I didn't notice that. I didn't I notice that either. One of my friends brought up a very interesting point to me that I, I have been thinking about just a little bit. Um, and that was, could you have told Carol Danvers origin story in a very streamlined manner in just Avengers Endgame? Did we no. need, if no, it's, it's yeah. It's going to be too dense. I would, I'm yeah, going to assume. No way, Jose. Yeah. Just like how Infinity War allowed you to play off of these characters that you already know. He brought this up to me after uh, she arrives, you know, in the post credit scene to the other Avengers. Cause he said, all right, if we did see this movie. And we know about the pager, and we know she she's played by Brie Larson. If this is how Endgame like kind of started with her just showing up, could they have given her like he said? Couldn't they have done like a DC thing where they give her a minor exposition and give the standalone film after, and that's the flashback movie of the '90s, like Black Panther into Civil War. Kind of, yeah, yeah. And I and I thought to myself like that's very interesting, but I don't think there's a purpose in discussing that because we got what we got. It is what it is, mm -hmm. and it it's perfectly fine. I, I don't think this needs to be dissected and broken apart. Do you think she's going to play a big part? I mean, yeah. I think she's going to play such a oh, big part. Oh, a hundred percent, completely. I mean, they would not have done all of this otherwise. Yeah, <laughs> you honestly, know, here's the thing: is that if we had gone into Endgame without this origin story, and we would have been seeing how emotionally affected she was by Nick Fury's absence. I know that I would have been distracted the whole movie and been like, wait, what is the backstory between Nick Fury and her? Like, why is she so involved? Did they have yeah. a relationship? Do they have a child? Are they mm -hmm. in love? Like, what's <laughs> going on? <laughs> I, I would have needed this prior. Yeah, no, no, I, I completely agree. I think because uh, I, I just keep going back to that conversation we had after the screening. He... He didn't like the movie as much as even as I did, and I was still mixed on it. He he didn't like the cinematography. He didn't like the visual effects. He didn't like the makeup, and he just thought to and he kept thinking to himself like, d d he he almost felt like they rushed this movie out because they need to get it out before Endgame, mm. and with only a few weeks until Endgame releases, uh, I, I think that's where most of it was coming from. And he was just like, oh, they could have done a little bit more to tighten up the storytelling in the editing room. And they could have done this and that and everything to make the film a little bit more stronger. And I just, I, I was like, you know what? Like I said, you might be right, but I don't think there's any point in arguing that because what we got, like I said, what we got is what we got. There's no, yeah. there's no reason to, you know? I'm sure you could go mo through most of the Marvel movies and, and tighten something up or improve on something. I agree. Yeah. 
So I, I listen, at, at the end of the day, people are going to hate to hate. And I'm not saying my friend was hating necessarily, but I, I can easily see why that would be attributed as being, oh, you, you know, you just want to hate this film because it is a female lead character. And, you know, you want to keep these kinds of stories down. And, I, and it's like, no, like that kind of toxic behavior needs to stop. Um the movie is allowed to be flawed and we're still allowed to like it. And the movie is also allowed to be flawed and still be everything that it is for like JC, 10 out of 10. I mean, like good for you, <laughs> you know, that's awesome. <laughs> I, I'm not, and I'm not going to hold that against you or anyone else that, you know, really, really responds to this movie. It's, it's better for the marketplace. It's better for the industry. And it's hopefully with this opening weekend that's happening right now, opening up with somewhere between 150 and 160 million, going to break down even more do- doors that Wonder Woman started two years ago. And hopefully we'll see even more stories told through this lens in a big blockbuster setting. Yeah. yeah. I think it's going to be interesting to see what they do with the scope of her power and how they use that. Because I have to say, when I look at his work, the, the other pieces Marvel has done to date, you know, they would take Vision and Scarlet Witch and put him in an apartment and he was making her soup. You know, I like I wasn't into that at all, like the separation of the characters, um, because they are they do have to deal with these, you know, variations of power. And um, I, so I hope that they can make it work a little bit better for, for whatever reason. I never connected to Vision because he always felt like he was sort of off to the side to me. I just, you know, and so um, now she's coming in as what, like you said, I don't know if she has more power than Thor, but seemingly she does. Yeah. So I, I hopefully they can make it work in a way that's satisfying, more satisfying than I, you know, than some of the ways that they have um, kind of put those characters those all-powerful characters to the side in the past yeah we'll see i mean it's only a few weeks away we're definitely getting close to it and it's for many people the most anticipated film of 2019 and we're going to see how this entire phase of marvel is going to wrap itself up i'm i'm genuinely really really excited for it to follow us all on social media and hear about what we think about uh what's going to be happening more in terms of the marvel cinematic universe Deanne, where can they follow you on the internet? I'm on Twitter at TweedledeeD33. JC Aldrich. You can find me at Twitter and Instagram at JC Aldrich. Cody Derricks. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd at CodyMonster91 and follow my horror movie podcast at Halloweeners Pod. And Danilo Castro. You can find me on Twitter at Danilo S. Castro. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our review of Captain Marvel here on the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, and also on CastBox. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of the show. Write us a comment. Let us know if you think the production is pretty good, if you want to see anything change with the format or anything like that at all. We really, really appreciate your support which you can also provide over at patreon where for one dollar minimum a month you can get some exclusive podcast content from us thank you so much for listening once again as always and we shall see you all next time This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest 
to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday.